Uh, Lord and our God, we, um, we thank you that your promise is that when we come and seek you with all of our hearts, that we will find you. We need you, and uh, you pursue us even more than we pursue you. You pursue us with grace and love. And Father, will you give us the gift of your spirit now as we turn to your word? Help us to uh, receive all of the goodness, um, all the truth, all the power that you want for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to open up to Psalm 3 in your Bibles. Um, If you don't have a Bible, look around, look in the seats in front of you. You likely will find one. If you don't have a Bible, come see me after the worship service, by the way. I'd love to give you one. Psalm 3. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me. My glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call on the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. This month we are looking at emotional and mental health. And to do that, we're looking at some difficult emotions that can threaten our emotional and mental health. Um, Last week, we looked at shame. Today, we're looking at a new one. What we recognize or notice with these difficult emotions is uh, that, yes, they can be dangerous. They can be... uh, damaging to us, but they can also have an important place in our life if we direct those emotions appropriately. Um, Today we're going to talk about fear. So question for you this morning, is all fear bad? Can you think of an example of when fear is good? I'm hoping by the end of the sermon to point out this one fear that we can have that helps give us rest in life. Um, But yes, uh, not all fear is bad. Uh, Early on in my uh, married life with Melissa, we had one of the most just terrifying experiences. As parents, we were at SeaWorld um, at the water park in the Lazy River. Susan, our oldest, was eh, just old enough to swim on her own. Luke was in a life jacket at the time, and we were just kind of floating along. Uh, and you know how it is um, in those lazy rivers or in rivers of Texas, like the Guadalupe, you could be um, kind of by yourself all of a sudden. And then there's this huge log jam of tubes and swimmers around you, and that's exactly what happened. Um, and we lost sight of Susan and Luke. And it happened really fast. Um, And Melissa and I kind of exchanged panic looks um, after a moment once we realized what was happening, and then we just shot through all the tubes 
pushing people out of the way, uh, trying to get to our kids, trying to find our kids. It probably was only 30 or 40 seconds. It seemed like minutes, but 30 or 40 seconds later, we, we found Luke, and he was just kind of floating along. Um, uh, no big deal uh, for him, a big deal for us. Uh, but we hadn't located Susan yet. And um, I grabbed Luke. Uh, Melissa was on up ahead. She had gotten out um, of the river. I stayed in the river to, to seek, what, look for Susan. Melissa found a security guard. Within minutes, they had shut down all of the exits of the lazy river. Um, and it probably was about five minutes after we uh, noticed that they, were, we, they weren't around us that we finally found Susan. And once she had noticed that she didn't know where we were, she got off at the closest exit, the nearest exit to her, and she was uh, just, just waiting there uh, for us. Uh, there was real fear in those few minutes. And that fear set us into fast action. It gave us incredible energy and determination. Uh, God has programmed our bodies to experience that kind of fear whenever there's that immediate threat, that uh, kind of action-oriented body-enabling fear to help us to, to work through that. But we also know that all fear is not good fear. Uh, fear can absolutely be crippling to us. It can prevent us from obeying God when we need to. It can prevent us from taking risks that God might want us to take. There is a, a, a fear that is much less defined. Um, it's not an acute fear, when, when there isn't this nearby threat. Uh, and sometimes that fear is, is just this haunting feeling that things are going to fall apart one day. I don't know if you've ever felt that kind of fear. Like you're just waiting for the other shoe to drop. You're, you're waiting, you know, things are, you know, they're, maybe they're kind of iffy uh, conditions, and you're just waiting for things to start crashing in around you. Or maybe there's something looming in the future that's a little intimidating. Maybe you have to give a speech. Uh, coming up, and you know, I don't want to get up in front of a crowd and give a speech. Maybe that's, maybe that's a few weeks ahead, and you start getting this kind of knot in your stomach. Um, maybe you have a performance review coming up at work, or maybe a health physical that's upcoming, or maybe there's a dilemma in your life, and you're just wondering, gosh, God, I just don't feel happy. I don't feel content. I don't feel at peace. I don't feel like I have the love that I need in life. Am I ever going to find that? Maybe this... this um, Less defined fear starts taking over and you worry and you worry and you worry. And it can cause all kinds of physical and emotional distress. So this morning I want to talk about what can you do when you are afraid. Um, Whether the threat is real and perceived, like David perceived these threats around him in this psalm, or whether or not Uh, We're just anxious about something looming in the future. And it might be hard for us to put our finger on what is causing that fear. So Psalm 3 identifies three things to trust in, one thing to pursue. And then I'm going to ask that question, is there one fear that we can have that will actually bring rest to our worried minds? So number one uh, from the psalm, trust in God's promises. Well, that seems a little obvious, right? Um, but look at what David does when he is afraid. You know, he, he says at the, the beginning of the psalm, he, he writes, 
Um, how many are my foes? Well, David, how many are your foes? 10,000 of them, 10,000 foes assailing me on every side. Okay, David, isn't that just a little, you know, that some hyperbole in your, your poem here? Well, David is king. Um, and when you are the king, you can amass many foes. And so this might really not be that much of an exaggeration from David. He really may have thousands that are trying to attack him um, and assail him. Does David crater under these threats? You know, our mind, when, when there's a threat, uh, we can focus so much on our threats that we forget about God, or we can focus on God in our threats and allow those threats to actually remind us um, of, of God's presence and God's promises. In the midst of our threats, we can um, allow our threats, just like David did, to bring his mind right to God, or bring our minds right to God. So notice what David does with all of his fears. David speaks his fears to God. He, he speaks them out as if he's placing these fears on God's shoulders. God, here's this threat. I need you to take care of this threat placing them on God's shoulders. If your mind is anxious, speak your fears to God. That reminds you of God's presence. Notice what uh, David writes in verse 3. But you, Lord, you are a shield. You're my shield. God is present. And what kind of a shield is the Lord for David? The Lord is a shield around David, all around David, this 360-degree shield. For David. That means you do not have to worry about something sneaking up on you from behind or at your side where you can't see it. See, God is this shield fully surrounding you. And when you have 10,000 enemies, you need to be shielded in all directions. And that's the promise from God. That is what we need to remind ourselves. Now, it's one thing to believe in God's promises when you feel like a victim, when you feel like a victim of someone else's injustice against you, or when you feel like you're a victim of, um, you know, a broken world where bad things happen. God, I trust in your promises during those times. It's another thing when um, you are suffering from something that you helped to cause. And so there's a second thing that this psalm tells us to do, and that is trust in God's grace. You see, David has all these foes around him, and he, in part, got himself into this mess. So if you have your Bible, you can open the psalm. Look at the very top of it, and there's, there's something written um, about the psalm. It says, a psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. Why was David fleeing from his son? So 2 Samuel uh, tells this tragic story and unfolds over several chapters of how Absalom, his son, turns against his father David and tries to kill him, tries to remove him from being king over Israel. And it's just, this, just a tragic story. Uh, Absalom murders one of his brothers who had committed just this terrible atrocity. 
And David knows about it, and yet King David does nothing in this situation. Does nothing to pick up pieces. Does nothing to reach out to his son Absalom and help him through this big mess. And he just he just neglects the whole thing. And as time went by, there's this huge rift that forms between Absalom and David. So David was fleeing Absalom to protect his life. And what's important to note is that God does not say to David, well, David, I mean, you're complaining about all these enemies, but you made this bed of yours and now sleep in it. God doesn't say that. Instead, look at verse 3 again. David says, you are God. You are the one who lifts my head on high. Uh, what does David mean? Well, if you look back to the previous verse, um, David writes, Many are saying to me, God will not deliver him. And this is not a condemnation of God. People aren't slamming God. They're slamming David. <laughs> uh, this is a condemnation of David. The Bible says that Absalom stole the hearts of the people of Israel away from David, stole the people's hearts. See, David was a beloved king. He was a revered king. But over time, Absalom was able to um, very subtly influence the hearts of the people away from David. Uh, He was stealing power from his father. Uh, Absalom worked to show people how great it would be if he were king instead of David. He stole people's hearts away from them. And not only that... David is still dealing with his infidelity and his affair with Bathsheba, his murder of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. And when David reports that people said of him, God will not deliver him, he is saying that David has completely lost the esteem of his people. But then David says, but God is the one who lifts my head. God lifts my head. Thomas Brooks was this Puritan uh, pastor, and he wrote, he wrote a book called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. Um, the neat thing, one of the neat things about this book is you just read the headings of this book, and you're like, ooh, that's helpful. So let me read one of the headings um, from this book. Uh, one of them reads this, Satan's Devices to Keep Christians in a Sad, Doubting, Questioning, and Uncomfortable Condition. And then he lists different ways, different devices of Satan to do that. And here's one of the ways that he lists. Uh, Satan does that by tempting us to believe that if we aren't happy or comforted or at peace constantly, then we've lost good standing with God. Have you ever been there where you've lost peace, you've lost confidence, and you start wondering, uh, what did I do wrong? (laughs) What did I do wrong? God is not here with me. And Brooks just says, that is not the case. Brooks writes that the amount of peace you have in your heart is not a measure of God's grace that remains in us. We cannot look at the circumstances of our life and use that as an indicator of how much grace of God is in our life. We have to trust in the grace of God that he lifts up our heads. And the third thing to trust in from the psalm is trust in God's sovereignty. Look at verse 4. David says, I call out to the Lord, 
and he answers me. And where does he answer from? He answers from his holy mountain. David looks to the top of the mountain to find his answers. The, the holy mountain, that is, that's a reference of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, during the time of King David, temple had not yet been built. But the Ark of the Covenant was located in Jerusalem. Remember what the Ark of the Covenant was, that, that box that God said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dwell there. It was a sign of God's presence. The Ark of the Covenant was also a sign of God's power. So whenever the Israelites went out to, to battle one of those four nations around them, they would bring out the Ark of the Covenant because that was a sign of God's power and God's might. God's mountain represented God's might. Mountain equals might. That's why when kids see a pile of dirt, there is a game that inevitably will break out on that pile of dirt. Is king of the hill. And let's see who's the biggest and the baddest and the most powerful. It's not king of the flatland. You know, they don't, it just doesn't break out in the plain. It's not king of the whole. It's king of the hill because mountain equals might. That's what David is calling to his, his mind and memory when he says, God's answering me from the top of his mountain. God is sovereign, David is saying. Look at verse 5. David says, I lay down and sleep. I awake again because the Lord sustains me. David can sleep even with 10,000 trying to attack him. He can sleep. And he reports, God is sustaining me. You know, if you are over 30, over 40, um, maybe even under 30, I'm sure this has happened to you at one point or another. You, you have a solid night's sleep until about 3 or 4 in the morning, and then you just wake up and you think, did I lock the front door? <laughs> uh, did I leave the oven on? And you can't go back to sleep. You worry about it. Or maybe something a little more heavy comes to your mind. How am I going to pay for all these bills? Um, my company's downsizing. What's going to happen this week? Am I going to get a pink slip? Or what if this little pain in my side that I'm feeling right now, just this little, what, what is this? What, maybe it's something serious. Maybe it's cancer, you know. And you, you can't go back to sleep. Try as you might. And you stay awake thinking and worrying about it. David says, I can sleep. Because I have this sovereign Lord who is looking after me. He's all powerful. Nothing happens in my life without God's approval. In other words, my friends, that means God leaves no detail in your life to chance. No detail in your life is left to chance by God. And that's why you don't have to fear the the 10,000 enemies that are surrounding you. Either they won't touch you at all, or if they do, it means that God has a plan to use them to protect you in the future from a greater harm. God will not let something happen to you that is firmly against his will. Because God is sovereign. He is king of the hill. So you have these fears or worries, 
Uh, things are out of control. Maybe what do you do in your life? Here's what you do. You steal your faith by bringing your fears to God and by bringing God to your fears. And that is S-T-E-E-L, not S-T-E-A-L. Steal your faith. Why the word steal? I mean, that, what, that, what does that word mean? It means to harden, to strengthen, to make your faith iron strong. Do you know how the only way you can make metal harder the, the way to make metal harder is to, to heat it to in incredibly high temperatures. And God uses threats that we experience to harden and to strengthen our faith. So you bring your fears to God. God, here are my fears. But you also bring God to your fears. Yes, junior hires. Thank you. Um, you're going off to discuss this in the breakout group. So you bring your fears to God. You bring God to your fears. You remind yourself of God's promises, God's grace, God's sovereignty. You have to bring God through your mind, through your your thoughts, through your prayers, to your fears. So experiencing fear, if if you are worried, if you are anxious, um... You know, fear is not a sign that something is wrong with you. Fear is not a sign that you are unfaithful. Fear is not a sign that you are untrusting, um, necessarily. See, God uses our fears to grow our faith. I like this quote from Frederick uh, Buechner. He says, Doubts are the ants in the pants that keep faith moving. You could replace that word doubts with fears as well. Ants in the pants that keep faith moving. Our doubts and our fears energizes our faith. That's what God wants to do with them. And finally, in your fight against crippling fear, Psalm 3 shows us one thing uh, to pursue. And David pursues this, and it's uh, God's glory. Pursue God's glory. So look at, at verse 3 one more time. But you, Lord, are a shield around me. You are my glory. See, David realized uh, for him to be truly at rest, he had to find his glory in another place, in God's glory. See, if I focus on my glory, on Greg's glory, what do I do? I try to knock it out of the park so that people can notice, wow, Greg's, Greg's pretty great, you know. People admire me. The only problem is we exist for God's glory. We exist to help other think, others think, no, no, God's. God's great. God is beautiful. God is, is wonderful. God is glorious. The only way that I can make God's glory the main thing I'm pursuing is if I think God is the central figure in my life, in all of life. Not some side figure in my life, albeit an important one, but the central figure in my life. To realize that God is the almighty creator who has made all that there is, and who has created my life, and who is worthy of my life. And listen, if I make God's glory my delight... 
I never have to worry about being disappointed. Um, if I make my glory, <laughs> my pursuit, there's plenty of things that can disappoint me about that. But if God's glory is my pursuit, I will never be disappointed. Because let me tell you about one, one of the, I think, one of the greatest promises in the Scriptures. That's Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. Check out this promise. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You can count on it. You can bank on God's glory. It is a sure thing. I want God's glory because I can count on it. I can look for all. I can look uh, to all kinds of things um, for to find pleasure, satisfaction, fulfillment in life. I can look for those things in my accomplishments and my possessions and what I acquire, what I do. Um, I can look for those things in my family. But there are things that threaten all of those, and those threats bring about fears. But if I can focus on the sure thing that will never disappoint me and find satisfaction and fulfillment in that, I will never be disappointed. And my friends, that sure thing is God's glory. So back to the earlier question, is there one fear that you can have that will actually bring rest to your life? Yes, it's the fear that you can have only if God is truly the most central, most important figure in your life. The right kind of fear to give you rest is this, the fear of God. Now you've heard that, the fear of God, fear God. And the fear of God is kind of a tricky idea because I don't know if we quite really like having fear of God, you know, all appear together. Because God says, don't be afraid, and uh, we want God to be this warm, soft being that is always there to comfort us and make life great. But the Bible says to fear God. Jesus tells us to fear God. The book of Proverbs says that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Fearing God is pretty important. And we can try to soften this by saying, well, you know, to fear God, it means to hold God in awe and reverence. Okay, sure, fine, that's great, yes. As long as we do that. So how do we treat God with awe and reverence? How do you know if you're doing that? Well, by actually believing him. Actually trusting him, obeying him, worshiping him like he's the central figure of your life, like like he's precious to you. Fearing God means taking God with utmost seriousness. Taking him more serious than anything else in life. I like to think of fearing God like this. Fearing God means seeing God appropriately. And then seeing yourself appropriately compared to God. God is the almighty creator of the universe. You are not. If you think that you have the right to do whatever you want to with your life, you are wrong. That is seeing your life appropriately compared to God. Seeing God appropriately means believing him. And do you know what God says over and over and over and over and over again? He says, do not be afraid. Sometimes the battle against fear is hearing that from God, not in this tender, soft, encouraging voice, but this determined, authoritative, 
commanding voice. Do not be afraid. Why? Why, God? God says, because I love you ferociously, I love you. Do not be afraid. How do we know? Do you know that Jesus himself had a fight against fear? All you need to do is look at the very last night of Jesus. He and his disciples went to the Mount of Olives to pray. Mark, the Gospel of Mark reports that Jesus began to be deeply distressed and troubled. And Jesus said, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. The Gospel Luke tells us that an angel had to come and strengthen Jesus because he was in agony. Sweat was pouring out of Jesus, the Bible says, like huge drops of blood. What was overwhelming Jesus? Was he afraid of losing his life? No. What did Jesus pray in that garden? Jesus prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. What does he mean by this cup? It was the cup of God's wrath, which he would drink as he took all of our sins upon himself when he died on the cross. What had Jesus in agony was the loss of his heavenly father. But then he, he steadied himself. And then he finished that prayer by saying, Yet not my will, but yours be done. And Jesus was obedient to God. He showed true fear of God so that you could know that you never have to fear God's wrath. So that when you hear God say, You are my child whom I love, do not be afraid, you can know that God means it. So as we close, I want you to think about one fear that you are experiencing right now. What is one fear that you have to bring to God so you can put on his shoulders? What is one fear that you need to bring God to? Fear? Let me introduce you to my God, the almighty creator of heaven and earth, who tells me, do not be afraid. Let me introduce you to my God, fear. Let's bring that fear to God right now. Almighty God, you are the God of the mountain, on the high mountain. All power, all glory, all might, all authority belongs to you and to you alone. And here we are in your sanctuary calling out to you for help. Lord, we take this fear and we give it to you. We thank you that the Almighty God is with us. You are that shield that surrounds us. So we give us firm and certain peace to our minds and our hearts. Give us courage. Give us confidence. Give us peace. Deliver us from our fear. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.